The last page has been turned on my most recent read, though it's not actually the book we're here to talk about. Nothing new there, to be fair. So here I am, no spoilers, as opinion-filled as ever and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as we travel to the year 2380, when space has been explored, alien races discovered, and a war with an unknown entity is about to begin. Yes, I am going sci-fi this week, with the first book in the Aurora Cycle, Aurora Rising, by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile, though I don't mind that, and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. It has been a really long time since I've read and reviewed anything science fiction. In fact, I think the last sci-fi book I looked at was probably Skyward by Brandon Sanderson, which was back in February 2022. So it's been a long while. To be honest, I wasn't sure that I was going to talk about the Aurora Cycle once I started reading it, but then I came to the end of the third book, Aurora's End, and knew that it was a series worth talking about. Though, on consideration, I am going to focus on the first book, Aurora Rising, because that is the setup, the beginning, the reason everything happens. How? I asked myself, and will be asking you, how has this not been talked about more? I finished the last book, appropriately titled Aurora's End, on Friday night. Well, actually, very early Saturday morning, as I refused to sleep until it was done. And the story is still echoing in my head. The final book in the series came out in 2021, so not too long ago. And the first two books, Aurora Rising and Aurora Burning, were released in 2019 and 2020, respectively. So that's one a year for three years. Pretty impressive. The books are rather chunky, with the one I'm going to focus on being the shortest of the three, at 470 pages. Reading all three together was definitely the best decision because I think if I'd had to wait for the books to be released, I'd have felt more than a little bit frustrated. Anyway, less about that. I need to try and tell you about the story without spoiling anything or at least as little as possible. The year is 2380 and the graduating cadets of Aurora Academy are being assigned their first missions. Star pupil Tyler Jones is ready to recruit the squad of his dreams, but his own boneheaded heroism sees him stuck with the dregs nobody else in the academy would touch. A cocky diplomat with a black belt in sarcasm, a sociopath scientist with a fondness for shooting her bunkmates, a smart-ass tech whiz with the galaxy's biggest chip on his shoulder, an alien warrior with anger management issues, A tomboy pilot who's not totally not into her squad leader, in case you were wondering. And Ty's squad isn't even his biggest problem. That'd be Aurora Jilin O'Malley, the girl he's just rescued from interdimensional space, trapped in cryosleep for two centuries. Ori is a girl 
out of time and out of her depth. But she could be the catalyst that starts a war millions of years in the making. And Tyler's squad of losers, discipline cases and misfits might just be the last hope for the entire galaxy. Nobody panic. Tyler Jones is top of every single class at Aurora Academy and destined for great things. He knows that he will have his pick of the students he trained with if only he can make it to the draft on time. Unfortunately, he's floating in the fold in the historic 200-year-old wreck of the Terran explorer, the Hadfield. He sensed a biosign and he can't let whatever it is die just because he wants to get the pick of the graduates for his crew. He's self-sacrificing like that. When he finally finds the cryopod emitting these life signatures, the craft is hit with a fold storm and both he and the girl he's found are at risk. If that storm hits the ship, they are doomed. With only moments to spare and drowning in the H2O that's leaking into his headgear after losing concentration momentarily, he manages to reach his ship with his damsel in distress and get back to the academy, albeit too late. The next day, Aurora, Tyler's rescuee, wakes up in the Aurora, disoriented. So would I be, my name matching that, with a set of strange memories that feel not only out of place, but also unreal, and she doubts their validity. Understandably, she's horrified to realise that not only is she not where she's meant to be, but she's also some 237 years in the future. Her family, friends and fellow crew members are all dead and she's completely on her own. At the same time, Tyler, who missed out on picking his dream crew, is meeting his new squad 312, which doesn't quite work out as he intended. His brains and gearhead are different, and he ends up getting into a bit of a brawl with his tank. Stuck in a room on her own, Aurora is experiencing visions, one of which features a man with elf-like features, who dies in a blast of bright light. Not knowing who he is, she doesn't know what these visions are trying to tell her or what is happening to her. She is bored, disoriented, confused and isolated. But the isolation is soon broken up when Tyler visits her and gifts her with a uniglass, which I guess could be considered the futuristic iPad, maybe. Misunderstanding when Tyler tells her to give it a name, she calls this piece of tech, which slightly malfunctions as it has a very sarcastic personality, Magellan, after the 15th century Portuguese explorer. All the while this is happening, a squad of agents from the Global Investigation Agency, or GIA, a Terran law force agency, are on their way to collect Aurora and ostensibly take her home, though it appears that their motives aren't quite as noble as they initially seem. With no clear reason, Battle Leader Destoy gives Aurora directions to the docking port on the station and then leaves her alone. While the GIA are on their way to escort Aurora back to Terra, Tyler and his squad, Scarlet, Cat, Finian, Zela, and Cal, are headed out on their first mission, one that they all feel is an insult to their abilities, taking medical supplies to refugees. None of them realise that when they are told their cargo is precious, that they are transporting anything other than supplies, or that they will be about to be involved in a mission that will change all of their lives irrevocably. 
They arrive at their intended destination, Sagan Station, without any difficulties at all. However, as they are unloading, they are ambushed by a Sildrathi rigged ship. And it is at this point that Aurora's presence on the ship is revealed. So many complex relationships and diplomatic issues are revealed on the Sildrathi refugee ship that you realise the world that is being explored here is way more than just these six graduates and their unexpected cargo. There is history between these different peoples. The Batrascans and the Terrans have a peace treaty. The Sildrathi have recently brokered an agreement with the Terrans. However, a branch of the Sildrathi, made up of the war breed and referred to as the Unbroken, disagree and made war on their own people, absolutely blowing up their planet and those who agreed the peace. As a Sildrathi with the mark of the war breed on his forehead, Cal, the crew's tank, is not trusted by the others of his race and his own crew and considered a traitor by those who share his marking. Poor guy just really cannot win. Anyway, after the Sildrathi arrive and declare war on the refugee station and anyone on board, Aurora reveals the strength of the powers she didn't know she had and defends Cal and the others. And then the GIA arrive offering support. Though their motive is anyone's guess, especially when it's made clear that they want nothing more than to take Aurora into custody, still declaring that she is needed back on Earth. Aurora pleads with the squad to save her, having had a vision that she is going to be tortured. But they all agree that she must be suffering from delusions after being stuck in the fold for over 200 years because there are stories of what that can do to the mind. Apparently it can turn you insane and delusional. So they let the GIA have her, thinking that they are doing this for her own good. What they don't realise is that they are going to also be swept up in whatever is happening behind the scenes. It's only after Kat informs them that the ship blew up Sagan Station rather than helping them as they'd promised, the squad realises that they aren't just going to be set free. Aurora was right, something is very wrong and they aren't just going to be allowed to leave. They are as much prisoners as Aurora feared she was going to be. So they've kind of put themselves in an awkward situation that they've got no way out of because they thought they were doing Aurora a massive favour. And they thought that this favour was going to be reciprocated by the GIA in helping the Sagan, the refugees on Sagan Station. Yeah, that didn't quite go as planned, did it? Having made a speedy decision, the squad make their escape, taking a moment to rescue Aurora from her own cell, where she's actually already killed her guards using the powers she revealed on Sagan and is intent on making her own way to freedom, though she doesn't have any idea where she's going either. Having set a course for Aurora Academy in their longbow ship, their plans are waylaid when Ori sleepwalks onto the bridge and changes their course, though even she has no idea why and what's driving her. Something else is in control of her body and appears to be determined to take them to the world ship Sempaternity. It seems that there is an item on board the world ship that the force driving Ori needs her to get. 
Gus starts a mission that has Squad 312, its misfit crew and Ori attending a masked ball, committing a dangerous heist that has them battling a rare and incredibly dangerous dinosaur-like creature that killed its own race out completely, escaping the GIA multiple times and fighting a fully grown draken that is intent on killing and chewing them up. Add to that an ancient force that is intent on taking over everything and everyone in the galaxy and making them a part of it, a godlike being that is fighting against this happening, and you have a battle that someone has to win or face absolute destruction. I first found out about this book because someone I follow on Bookstagram happened to be reading it. She, like me, started with the first book, Aurora Rising, a very wise choice, and then continued reading them until she was finished. However, unlike me, she had actually read previous books by one of the authors, Jay Kristoff, and enjoyed them. So kind of had some ex- idea of what to expect, which I didn't. I was starting from point zero and with no Jay Kristoff or Amy Kaufman familiarity, my experience was completely and probably was completely very different. Trusting her judgment on the books and curious about a sci-fi series with absolutely no knowledge admittedly of what it was about, I invested and purchased all three books at the same time, which is a risky thing to do. It's not always a wise decision, as I do currently have a series on my shelf that I am struggling to get through, despite numerous attempts and thousands of positive reviews from other readers. But anyway, today is not about my personal experience with A Court of Thorns and Roses. These books are beautifully designed. Covers seriously have evolved so much since I was a kid. YA books look so different. The two final books in this trilogy that I own even have brightly coloured sprayed edges, as you will have seen if you've been on my Insta page at any point in any time in the last couple of days. I didn't know anything about these books, nor the authors, though I knew it was sort of YA science fiction. So this week, in I went with an open mind and a lot of hope that I was going to at least not hate it which is the most important thing when it comes to reading a book. Sometimes I will check out a little bit on Goodreads when venturing into unfamiliar territory, especially in a genre I don't read that often. And that is what sci-fi is to me. It's a book, it's a it's a sort of genre that I have dipped my toe into very occasionally. But as the last book I read in a sci-fi series was 18 months ago, it's not something I do very often. However, this time I decided to ignore the possible negative reviews and only recorded that I was reading them on Goodreads after I was done, thus avoiding any temptation to look at anything. I do know that there are some stories around about Jay Kristoff being a problematic author, but I truly didn't want that to influence how I read these books. Reading tends to be, for me at least, very much a case of art and artist are separate. Whenever I talk about reviews, I always say the same thing, so much so that you can probably recite it with me. Go on, I dare you. No matter what other people say in their reviews, my opinion is mine and mine alone. You really should form your own views about a book by reading it. 
because the opinions you read or hear are those of the person who wrote them and they are subjective. I will admit that sometimes I am influenced by the views of others when it comes to TV and movies especially. I can be swayed by the masses at times. But when it comes to books, the reviews may trigger a latent view that simmered as I was reading it. But that's it. All of that said, my review is 100% mine and absolutely how I feel about the book. I have always loved to read book reviews, whether they were in the newspaper on a Sunday before the internet. I used to have a subscription to the Observer for their review section solely or online in latter times. They can be cutting or entertaining or both. And it's always interesting to see how different people interpret the same thing. Reviews further endorse the everyone is different statement. If we were all the same, then the type of book available would be incredibly limited because variety wouldn't need to exist. So everything would be of one theme. God, wouldn't that be dull? As always, I have tried to provide a balanced perspective because hearing views from both ends of the spectrum is important. Sure, they may not be my view or have seen the same thing as I did when they read the book, but that doesn't make their opinion any less valid. This is how they felt when they read it. Of course, I'm not saying that you should let any of these reviews, including my own, sway you into picking up the book or not. But sometimes reviews can help you if you're hesitant, especially if you've liked other books that the reviewer has read or, in my case, talked about. And of course, if you're concerned about the content of a book, whether it contains specific situations that you're anxious about reading or don't enjoy, then a review is a good way to find that out because not all books contain trigger warnings on the front page. In fact, I think I probably own only three books that have trigger warning pages in them. Lenaria rated this book just one star and mentions multiple issues she had with it, what was promised and the content itself in her review. She said, Honestly, when I read this book and didn't immediately fall in love with it, I thought it was just me. I figured I'd missed something and that's why I just felt the book was so superficial. I was honestly ashamed to admit that I really didn't enjoy a book by the authors that brought us Illuminae. So I chatted about it with some people. The more I talked with them, the more I realised that it wasn't just me though. Let's start with the characters. Honestly, I didn't really feel the connection with them in this book and the dramatic scene at the end of the book involving one of the main characters in what should have been a super dramatic scene just fell flat for me. Aurora especially was so inconsistently portrayed that I spent most of the book wishing I could skip her viewpoints. I also feel like this book engaged in some queer baiting. I was promised gay, and other than one kiss, the book was annoyingly straight. All of the main characters in the squad pair up straight pairings. Unless there is more development on this front in future books, don't really expect much gay other than the fact that all of the characters appreciate how beautiful each other is regardless of gender. The last complaint, which again I'm mentioning after discussion with other readers, is the amount of content that is highly influenced by other works. I feel like this book goes beyond an homage and straight up rips off the plot of Stranger Things. This gets a little dicier when you start taking into the space elves, which just seems to be a rip-off of SJM. It's just 
not at all what I expected of Jay and Amy. I went into this book assuming that this would be a solid five stars and I'd be raving about it for ages. Instead, I cancelled my pre-order. The comments about the Illuminae Files, another series written as a collaboration between Kaufman and Christoph, are quite common in the over 1,000 one-star reviews that Aurora Rising received. As I have not read that series personally, I cannot possibly judge, though I do want to read the books. They aren't currently part of my collection, and I am trying to discipline myself when it comes to buying more, mostly because I need new shelves. I will actually post a shelfie really soon on my Insta so you can see what I mean by filling my shelves quickly. Anyway, as I have already mentioned, this book, the first in the trilogy, was released on the 6th of May 2019, so it's a good four years old as I talk about it. So far, there are 62,859 ratings and 11,123 full reviews. I will be adding a written review at some point in the very near future. I just need to get my thoughts down in a shorter form than they currently are. This episode is a good length. The overall score for the book is 4.11 out of 5 on Goodreads, which isn't too bad, especially when you take into account the number of incredibly detailed and very cutting one-star reviews I read through until I found one that also didn't give a full spoiler-ridden summary of the book. 77% of the ratings and reviews, which totals almost 50,000 opinions were four and five star, which is definitely a positive. However, 5% of the ratings are at the lower end of the spectrum, with 3,733 reviewers finding the book to be less than underwhelming. As I have already said, everyone likes different things, and when reviewing, will be looking for specific things that they want out of a book. In this case, those who didn't like it appeared to have very specific expectations or wants when it came to Aurora Rising that simply didn't come to fruition. And of course, there are always those who will hate read something because they can. Hey, you do you. I've got no problem. A number of the reviews were left by people who had DNF'd the book. And if you've seen my TikTok or you've heard me talk about it before, you already know how I feel about those, especially those that read only 50 pages, which is not even 10% of most books these days, and then say, nope, this is one star from me. But everyone is entitled to review and feel how they want about something. I just choose to disagree with you on that particular thing. I always try to find patterns when it comes to reviews and quite often I will see them pretty quickly. With these books though, the only similarity I noticed was with those who were expecting something similar to their the previous collaboration, The Illuminae Files, and they were disappointed that this isn't what they received. A number of the readers took issue with things like the character woken from cryosleep being named Aurora. One review focused entirely on that and their review was one that I cannot include here because the language was pretty explicit and you know I try and avoid using explicit language in this particular podcast. I have to be honest, I never even twigged that one or linked Aurora to the Disney princess, instead associating her name with the dawn of a new day. But I guess there could be some tie to both. 
I don't know if I missed the hype for this novel because I wasn't part of Instagram at the time or if there never really was all that much hype to begin with. But I do know that had it not been for those posts on Just a Bookish Girl's Instagram, I probably would never have found this series at all. As we know well, overhyped and popular novels or novels from popular authors can suffer for this exposure, attract negative reviews and feedback from those who aren't fans and enjoy the process of hate reading, review bombing just because they can. Now, I'm not saying that this is what people always do. However, if experience has shown me anything over the last 40 plus years of my life, it's that people will sometimes dislike something just to be different or for the sake of it, to not be one of the crowd. We can take notice of it or not. That is our individual choice. As I say every single week when it comes to opinions, whether it's for a book, film or TV programme, Every view is very personal to the individual who wrote it, so they are completely subjective. When it comes to picking a book for yourself, it's always worth looking at more than one review if you're not sure. Though, to be honest, I would always ask a friend first, if you can. If you've got some bookish friends, go out and talk to them about it, because everyone's opinion is different. Finding a five-star review wasn't difficult and there were quite a few to choose from. However, finding one that didn't give any spoilers or, again, wasn't essay length, but also not incredibly short, a one-liner as some were, was the bit that took the time. It's amazing how many one-liner or essay reviews there are when the shorter ones are a bit harder to find. As I have probably mentioned in previous episodes when talking about YA books, people seem to like discussing specific points at length, just as I do every week. And the long reviews, while fantastic, are just a little bit too long to read in their entirety. Elena gave the book five stars after reviewing it on her second read. She said... Oh my damn, guys, I am so happy that I dove back into Aurora Rising. Even though things got sad in some serious moments, this was jam-packed with so much action that I was never really bored with what was going on. The characters, I still love them all to death, especially when it came to all things Cal. As for Aurora, well, girl, I have so many questions about you, and I can't wait to get all the answers. Other than that, this review will be super short and sweet. I absolutely love Squad 312 and I need more adventures with them all. On to the next book now. It has been two days since I have finished this wonderful audiobook and no amount of wine has helped me get over that ending. So yeah, just deal with this awful book review, people. Aurora Rising was a really fast-paced and exciting book to listen to. It definitely helped with work being boring. So in other words, the day basically flew by and I loved it. In this book, you will meet a wonderful cast of characters. I honestly had no favourite this time around and I kind of liked that simple reason. It was hard not falling in love with each person that this book brought to me. Plus, the narrators did a really good job with them. The entire Squad 312 brought joy to my boring work life. They made me laugh and smile the entire time. Of course, they gave me some dramatic moments and some sad ones as well. However, I won't dive into that because then I would basically just spoil absolutely everything about this book. So yeah, it was amazing and everyone should take a chance on it. 
Overall, I loved this book and I'm slightly peeved that I have to wait for the next book to come out. I really enjoy reading other people's reviews, though I admittedly like to go into a book with an open mind, especially when it's a new book by an author I'm not familiar with, as Aurora Rising was. Of course, when it comes to reviews, we can't see into the heads of every reviewer who leaves some feedback on a website, even if we look at every review they've left of every book. Can you imagine how long that would take? I think we can easily see that everyone is different and though some reviews contain similar views or opinions, it makes sense that they aren't all exactly the same wherever you're looking. So if you're looking on sites like Amazon, Goodreads or Storygraph, which I looked at for the first time today, then take every review with a pinch of salt. Trust your friends or people you know have enjoyed the same type of books as you before and then look at the overall score and take it as read that a book is or isn't for you. Anyway, now I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Aurora Rising by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. Completely spoiler-free and 100% honest. Did I like the book? I think that the fact I managed to read all three of these relatively chunky books, a total of 1,458 pages in fact, in less than a week, indicates that they were a good read. I have to be honest here, I have not, knowingly at least, read many books written by two authors working collaboratively. In fact, the only one I can think of off the top of my head is Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. And if you know me at all, you'll know that this book is close to the top of my all-time favourites list. The fact that I wasn't familiar with the novels of either Amy Kaufman or Jay Kristoff meant I was going into the Aurora cycle completely blind. And that's probably not a bad thing. I had no preconceived notions about what the authors were capable of or any idea of their individual writing styles or their collaborative ones for that matter. I found it a pleasant surprise, to be honest, that I didn't notice any defined points in the writing where it was obvious that one author or the other was putting words on the page. Now, maybe this is because I haven't read any of their solo work, but maybe it's because the writing was indeed seamless. Of course, I am not sure how multiple authors writing together actually works, is it chapters, characters, scenes? Did they plot the books together and then split them into scenes? Or did they write half of the book each and then merge their work together? That sounds a bit insane. However they did it, it worked for me. I don't need to talk about the plot as I've already gone into as much detail as I can without spoiling the book to the point where you won't need to pick it up and read it for yourselves, if you haven't already of course. And the plot is admittedly at times incredibly complex and something that I couldn't wait to solve, hence not reading any other books this week in between these, despite having a considerable number of new books and old to choose from. Though I am going to only be talking about Aurora's Aurora Rising, a lot of my feedback can be taken as talking about all three of the novels that make up the series – because they were so well done that the plots melded together incredibly well, which is why I am incredibly glad I didn't read them as they were released. 
I think I may have gone a little nuts waiting that year for each one to come out if I'd read the cliffhangers. One of the things that really stood out for me was the development of the characters and their individual storylines. They were so well crafted that I found myself rooting for them whenever they experienced a turning point, suffered a setback or discovered something about their individual circumstances that caused them to feel something, whether it happened to be a positive or negative reaction. Each character is so individual, so unique And though many of their qualities are attributed to the roles that they play within Squad 312, it doesn't mean that they are the same as everyone else who has those roles in the different squads. Cat, the ace, the pilot, is meant to be confident, reckless and somewhat arrogant. And she is all of these things, but she is also loyal beyond a fault strong-willed and willing to do anything in order to ensure the safety of the rest of her squad. She is also the one who voices the most doubts about Aurora. She is the hesitant and cautious one, which seems contrary to the recklessness associated with her ace status. However, it becomes clear relatively early that a lot of her hesitance and resentment is due to jealousy. Though it's obviously frustrating and some readers have voiced their distaste at Kat's clear girl-on-girl hate when it comes to Aurora, love does strange things and her feelings for Tyler are at the core of almost all her behaviours, including joining the most misfit squad when after she's graduated. When it comes to Kat knowing that she is harbouring feelings for her alpha, no, not in the fan fiction sense, get your brain out of that one, it makes the resentment feel all the more real. As much as no one wants to acknowledge it, the girl-on-girl hate that outstayed the acceptable page limit by a factor of at least three, as one reviewer referred to it, is part of real life. Do you remember school at all? And though it doesn't feel right, it is a part of what makes these characters that much more realistic. Had Kat just accepted Aurora's position on the ship without question and not felt a little insecure when it came to the girl's position in Tyler's life, when she apparently loves him so much, she would have been less true to herself. Tyler Jones is the alpha. He's the squad leader and had it not been for his timely rescue of Aurora from the abandoned wreckage of the Hadfield, he would have made it to the draft and had the pick of the cream of the crop, every graduate clamouring to be part of his crew. But of course, Tyler is an alpha because he is noble. He's a strategist and he takes his role incredibly seriously. At some points during the book, he felt just a tad too serious for someone who was only in their late teens. But with the amount of responsibility he's been given, it's unsurprising. I have to admit that after reading the latter two books in the series, he does loosen up a bit, but it takes a lot for him to do so. It's a relief that he does change and show growth, but in the first book, he feels very straight-laced, and that's a bit restrictive. Of course, covering every single cliche known to man when it comes to YA novels meant to appeal to a female audience and possibly encourage them to read more science fiction. He is described as incredibly handsome, almost perfect in every way with abs to die for. But at some point, he does become just Tyler. And that suits me down to the ground. When I first read the rescue he carried out, I half expected our rescued traveller Aurora to fall into his arms and eventually into his bed without any protest. 
So you can only imagine my 100% relief when this didn't end up being the case. I think that Aurora and Tyler would have been the most mismatched pair on board if that had come to pass. It's strange that for someone who is meant to be the hero of the piece, at least that's how I interpret it to begin with, I actually have very few feelings for him, either positive or negative. He's not a character who doesn't inspire much in me personally. As well as being Tyler's beautiful red-headed twin and Kat's best friend, Scarlett is also the face of the squad, otherwise known as the ship's diplomat, the negotiator, the voice of reason. She has incredible linguistic skills and seems to be able to talk them out of almost any situation. A very useful skill to have for that matter. She is very loyal to her brother, waiting for him during the draft, even though she would have had plenty of alternative options open to her, given her skill set. Later in the book, you discover that she followed Tyler into the training academy because she wanted to be there for him. Initially, I found the constant references to her multitude of ex-boyfriends not only annoying, but also one of the plot points that had no purpose at all. She has a role on the ship and an important position within the squad, but to start with, it's all about her boobs, her boyfriends and her brother rather than about who she is. It takes a while for us to really get to know Scarlett as an entity on her own. And once you do, you discover that she has a great sense of humour that exists separate from her sexuality. She has good ideas when she doesn't hide her light under the bushel that is Tyler and his accomplishments. It took me quite a while to warm to her and her habits. Out of all the characters, Scarlett was the one that I wasn't sure I was ever going to like. She felt more one-dimensional than anyone else. And I don't know why. Cal, in many ways, is another cliché. He is tall. He is beautiful. Often referred to as Pixie Boy by others on the crew. And he is as hard as stone, emotionally. He is resentful of his position on the squad. He is the tank. And in words directly from the manual, they're big they're bad and they'll hit you where it hurts most. When it comes to Cal, none of this is a lie. He holds himself apart from the crew, resentful that he has to join a group without structure. However, as more gets revealed about his past, I did start to question how much of this distance was a case of, I'm going to push you before you push me. His race, as I've already mentioned previously, the Sildrathi, have a complex history with the Terrans, which most of the crew is made up of. He was brought up in a military household with a strict father he claims is dead, and his culture is considered incredibly formal. Though I went into this book expecting that any romance would involve Tyler, the early revelation that Cal and Aurora are meant to be was a pleasant surprise, mostly because it wasn't what I had anticipated. Cal is a character who we don't find out too much about in the first book, However, from the moment he meets Aurora and realises that she is his beshme, I think that's how you pronounce it, there is a shift that turns him from the standoffish professional into something of a lovelorn swain. This change isn't totally welcome because it does give him something of a weird glossy weakness that you don't really want in someone who is meant to be the fighter on a team, especially 
if they're going to war. Finian is the gearhead. He's super intelligent, but with a chip on his shoulder a mile wide because he is considered weaker than others with less ability due to his physical difficulties. However, his brain still works a mile a minute. He starts off his career with the other members of Squad 312 showing his more sarcastic side as a defence mechanism more than anything else. Having grown up in zero gravity due to illness, he has some difficulty adjusting, and this comes across occasionally when he seems terse. He hides a lot behind his smart-ass comebacks, and awkward flirtation with the majority of the crew, especially Scarlett and Tyler. He's an equal opportunities flirt, and though Scarlett shows little to no interest in him, there is a sense that this is purely because she has a sense of propriety, and doesn't want to cause any real awkwardness on their virgin mission. I have to be honest though, Finian was probably one of my favourite characters in the entire crew. Throughout the three books, you learn more about him and the culture he grew up in, which is not only complicated, but incredibly different to the one that the Terran crew members and the Sildrathi experienced when they were, gro- when they were children. Finian is a Betrascan from Trask, And his family dynamic and that of his species is not only complicated and intricate, but fascinating. He is a character with a great deal of depth that he hides beneath a jokester facade, which makes it all the more interesting when we finally get to look behind and look beyond what he initially shows us. Zila is probably the most mysterious member of the crew. She's Terran, but her history is something she is less open about. Like Finian, she hides behind a mask, but where his is sarcasm and occasionally a droll kind of weird sense of humour, she likes to be the weird one. She is reserved, quiet, and in an odd way, a little bit violent. As the brains of the outfit, she is always researching something, whether it's the effects of shooting someone multiple times with a gun set to stun, or giving a group of students a virus to see whether it kills them or not. It's very difficult to warm up to a character who shows little to no emotional development, but there is something endearing about Zila and her unusual ways that makes you want to know who she is. Knowing that everyone on the longbow has a very specific reason for being there, it is a case of being patient with her. She is very matter-of-fact, and if the characters were being given labels and stuck in boxes then it's likely Zila would be considered neurodiverse. Aurora, or Ori, to her friends, is a girl out of time. Stuck in cryosleep aboard a failed mission to a new Terran settlement, she is rescued from possible death by Tyler when he should really be somewhere else. However, her rescue is the catalyst for a possible war and the potential end to everything and the Milky Way. Aurora grew up on Earth in the 22nd century, and her ambition was always to travel. She wanted to explore. So when she is accepted aboard the latest exploration vessel, the Octavia III, she is over the moon. No one expects to wake up over 200 years later with everything very different. And not only does she have to adapt to these changes in incredibly quick time, but she also has to contend with the fact that for some reason the Terran Enforcement Agency, the GIA, is after her and seems to want her dead. Or do they? For me, Ori is a weird one. Though she is clearly out of her depth, she adapts pretty quickly to her lot. 
This is probably helped in part by the fact that she has started having visions, not something she had before she went into cryosleep. Even before she met him, she knew who Cal was, and even while she is trying to get to grips with what has happened and understand where she is, the discovery of powers she has never seen before are dumped on her shoulders, a responsibility that would be hard for anyone to cope with. Ignoring all of this, though, Ori is probably, unfortunately, one of the least developed characters in the entire trilogy. Does she grow and mature throughout the series? Yes, absolutely. However, because so much of the story is focused on these powers that she develops, which I'm not going to go into in too much detail because, spoilers, a lot of potential character growth is missed. At least that's how I feel. She is the girl with all the powers, the one with a single white eye who gets nosebleeds, who is Cal's fated mate and a girl rescued from 200 years of sleep by Tyler. And even after three books, I still feel as though I don't know who she is. Is that sad? Yes. But luckily, the other characters experience the sort of growth that makes the story build towards an incredible climax. Being totally honest, talking about only one of the books has been incredibly difficult because so much happens that has you sitting on the edge of your seat that I want to go into it in much more detail. But in doing that, I would spoil parts of the story that would ruin the ending of this book and Aurora's Burning, which I think would be doing you a disservice if you decide to read the trilogy. This is a good book. And though a considerable number of reviewers really didn't enjoy it, I am going to stick with my I liked this opinion because it is my opinion. Ultimately, is this as good as Skyward by Brandon Sanderson? Honestly, no. But then I think that there is something about the way he builds his world that is just chef's kiss perfect. However, this is good as a book, not judged against others in the same genre. And as someone who admittedly doesn't read too much in the sci-fi sphere and hasn't read the Illuminae files against which this has been found lacking by many, I devoured all three of the Aurora Cycle books and would have happily read them if they were longer. Will I read anything else by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff? Individually, these authors have written a number of books, and from my brief moment of research, it seems as though their science fiction ventures are specifically a joint project. I'm looking forward to finding out why people thought the Illuminae Files were superior, and I can't help but wonder if they had read the Aurora Cycle first, if their opinions would have been different. I know that Jay Kristoff has written a considerable amount of fantasy and from reviews I've read, he enjoys sarcasm and dry humour. So I wonder, and I, I, I honestly thought this as soon as someone mentioned it, I wonder if Finian was one of his sole creations. I know that he is considered a somewhat problematic author, but having not read his solo projects nor any interviews, I am staying well out of it. Yes, that is possibly being chicken, but there are so many problematic authors out there. Everyone from Roald Dahl to Enid Blyton has done something that could be considered wrong. So yeah, I'm going to step away from that. But anyway, yes, I would probably pick up some of their solo work as well as their other joint project. But first, let me get my new bookshelves installed. It's only going to be a week. I've just arranged it all.
If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. I've already admitted I am not a huge science fiction reader, so I can only recommend one series of books with any level of authority or experience. If you have any YA science fiction you think would work, then please do let me know. The book series I would recommend I have already mentioned a couple of times, in fact only a few moments ago, and that's Skyward by Brandon Sanderson. The three books that currently make up the series are Skyward, Starsight and Cytonic. There are also a number of novellas available and apparently the fourth and final book titled Defiant is due for release in November 2023. So as I record this, that's actually not that long to wait. It comes out around the same time as Iron Flame, the sequel to Fourth Wing. So that's going to be a good month. I can't believe that we are already halfway through August. I'm not sure where the year has gone, it's just vanished, but I know it's been eventful and looking at my calendar, the rest of this year is going to be no less so. Seriously, it's kind of filling up quickly. I have been contemplating putting myself on a book buying ban. Yeah, I'm talking about torturing myself there. That doesn't include the pre-orders I have already made, nor do the three subscription boxes I receive a month. However, with the addition of my new shelves, that book ban is now being put on hold, at least temporarily, until those shelves fill up and it doesn't take long. I guess what I'm trying to say here is that if you have any book recommendations, perhaps you've got a sci-fi author you think I really need to try out, or another genre you think I should add to the list, go for it. Send me those book suggestions. I am always interested in being introduced to new books, authors and genres. You can email me at beingbookishpod at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram or the site formerly known as Twitter and I will be sure to check them out. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my long-form reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk. For everyone who is subscribed, I really promise new content is coming soon. Life has been just a little bit emotionally fraught for the last few months, and I need to start getting things back on track. Well, that's it for this week, and thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear... Why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. It really does help get the podcast seen elsewhere. You can follow me on Instagram and threads as Being Bookish Pod, on TikTok as Being Bookish Reviews and on X, which even the email subtitle as formerly Twitter as Being underscore Bookish. Or you can check out my website for the podcast back catalogue and full written spoiler-free book reviews at beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and another new book arrived yesterday. So until next time, this is me saying 